The guest on this episode of Diverse Disruptors is Lita Mallet, the founding high school principal of Milwaukee Excellence Charter School. Before I share her amazing story, you might be asking, why are we talking to a school principal? Well, think of this. A principal is kind of like an entrepreneur. According to a blog post from the co-founder of the educational consultancy in Rollhand, there are five qualities that successful principals and entrepreneurs share. Successful entrepreneurs are agile, risk takers, capacity builders, and most importantly, they have a vision. And Lita Mallet possesses all those qualities in spades, especially vision. There is so much that Milwaukee can and will do. And then think of her school as more of a startup incubator. Instead of nurturing and growing a business, she is nurturing and growing the minds of Milwaukee students. And I am passionate and ready to do the work to get us there. You might remember hearing about Lita School back in 2017 when they went viral with an inspirational rap video, which led to the students appearing on Good Morning America. Milwaukee Excellence is my spot. I need to be taught right. I am so focused to go and do something with my life. Smart, I am strong. My life matter. I'm a bliss. I am smart. I am strong. My life matters. I'm a bliss. My knowledge will make me stand tall. Fast forward to 2020, in a story from the Milwaukee Neighborhood News Service, Lita announced that she planned to quadruple the number of black students that take the AP computer science exam in Wisconsin. Get this, back in 2019, only 2.2% of students who took the exam were black, which equates to only 23 students in the entire state. Let me repeat that. Only 23 black students took the test in the entire state of Wisconsin. Not only that, Wisconsin is near the bottom when it comes to black students taking an exam and dead last in the Midwest, according to a presentation by Barbara Erickson, the assistant professor in the School of Formation at the University of Michigan. I think we can do something about it. So I said, you know what? We're all taking AP computer science and you're all going to do well in it too. (laughs) The reason for this disparity is simple, systemic and structural racism. And Lita's passion to change this for her students is not only a vision for Milwaukee, but it's also very personal for her. I want to know more about that vision, but first, we should start at the beginning of her story. How she changed paths from a biomedical engineer to returning to Milwaukee to become a principal, aka entrepreneur, helping to shape these bright young minds. What was your childhood like in Milwaukee? Yeah. Were your parents involved in education or... Yeah, so um, born and raised in Milwaukee, my family has always been very much um, pretty prominent members in just the community. So um, my my grandparents, my great grandparents have a lot of different stores in the community called Malik's Groceries. And so they're used to, you know, really just uplifting and being kind of like that that's that foundation for a lot of like the youth in the in our neighborhoods. I went to uh, Morris Middle School and went to Rufus King High School. And when I think about my time in Milwaukee um, as a child or as 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 a young person, is really the stuff that happened or my story at Rufus King High School, which we all are familiar with, that um, has kind of led me to where. Um, I am today. So I was valedictorian at King. So I got an all A's, um, but I was unapologetically black. Like I was myself. I was, <laughs> you know, I, and my, that's how my family has always been. We've been, we've been very um, blessed to be, to just 
be unapologetically ourselves. So I had the big gold hoop earrings and everything. But I was also, you know, the valedictorian that got a 33 on my ACT. My dream was to go to Harvard. And um, my guidance counselor, um, he, he knew my dream, but he, at that time he was happy with the fact that I had gotten into um, USC and I had gotten into Madison and Marquette with the scholarship. So it's like, oh, okay, you're good. You're good. Um, <laughs> you're fine. But other people who didn't look like me, who were white, who didn't have the same grades that I had, who did not have the same um, ACT score that I had, they got into their dream schools of Princeton and Yale. And that guy gets counselor counseled them and helped them get into those schools. And it was this one test that I needed to take that I had no idea about called the SAT2 at the time. I had no idea about it. And so I was crushed when I got to my Harvard interview and they said, oh, your guidance counselor didn't tell you that you need to take this test. So one person really, one person deferred my dream. Deferred her dream. That is messed up. It didn't register at the time, but this bad experience with her guidance counselor would end up changing her life. Even though she was the valedictorian, hear me out, valedictorian of her class to have her dream of going to Harvard simply deferred. Lita can't help but look back at it now with a bit more contempt and I definitely wouldn't blame her. And I think about like my story and like schools growing up in Milwaukee and just those small little instances, those those just those moments of doubt that people have or their expectations just being so low for black students in Milwaukee. And my experience is not going to be the experience of anybody at um, my school. And I don't want that to be the experience of any black person or black student or black child in Milwaukee. So my goal is that no dreams will be deferred. And so you'll hear me saying that a lot, no dreams deferred because black, black students in Milwaukee deserve that. They deserve to have their dreams come true. So how did you like how did you deal with that? Like how did you like did you tell your parents the the how the guidance counselor kind of like helped guide the white students to their school of dreams and like told you like you don't need to worry about Harvard, you got Marquette and all this stuff. Like what like how did that affect you emotionally? I think I didn't realize the injustice of that until later on. I think while it's happening you get kind of you get I think a lot of students get used to it. You just kind of get used to the expectations as being lower for you. You don't realize that it's a huge injustice to yourself. So Lita graduates high school, top of her class, and heads across the country for college. She enrolls at USC, better known as University of Southern California in sunny Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was L.A. I was <laughs> The brochures had palm trees and sunshine. Like, there's no... <laughs> Of course, I wanted to go away, but um, well, the weather the weather inspired me. <laughs> the weather inspired me, and it was a top it's a top twenty school, so okay. um, it was the best school that I had gotten into. And I've always been kind of like a fearless kind of person, and I want to just do like the biggest thing ever. So, what was her big thing? Biomedical engineering, and why engineering? What what inspired you to go that route? I had always liked math and science. And so my parents did. I did. My parents are the ones that actually told me, hey, you should try engineering. 
I said, okay, this, I've always wanted to like learn about more medical field things. And so biomedical engineering was like a good blend between them. So I got all the pre-med classes and I still took all the e, um, the electrical engineering and computer science classes as well. And I kind of learned more about what engineering was as I was in school. So like I learned more about what the field was and what the possibilities were as I was going through school. What was your experience like at USC as a black student from Milwaukee, like um, a mm -hmm. segregated city? Did you have any challenges to overcome personally and as a student? Yeah, it was my first time, like not being just around all like majority black people. So that was a huge culture shock that a lot of people didn't seem to like understand at you. They're like, what? You, you went to a school that you, you were around black people your whole life? It's like, yeah, I was. <laughs> um, so that just seemed foreign to um, most people. Uh, I had an accent. Again, I was unapologetic, still am unapologetically black. And it was it was hard. I got really homesick and I had to like figure out like what it meant to be a black woman in L.A. So I, I, I did find myself trying to figure out like what what does it mean? I could kind of I couldn't get by in my classes and people take me seriously anymore with my big gold hoop earrings. So <laughs> um, I realized really I and I don't know if this is the right thing to do and I reflect back on it, but I did change a lot just so that I could be taken more seriously. You mean like code switching? Is that what you're trying to like? Did you do like that term? <sighs> I think it was it was code switching. Well, I hear code switching is definitely how you talk, but I changed more than just <laughs> how I talked. So I changed my hair. I changed my my style, my music preferences started to change. I started to watch different shows that so I can like understand the cultural references with people when they were joking. It was a dramatic coke switch, like a huge overhaul. So um, I did find myself doing that, which I think a lot of people do when you go to a predominantly white institution trying to um, make it and um, fit in and get by. So that definitely happened. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, you you said you're apologetically black. You come from a predominantly black, you know, uh, school, mm -hmm. Milwaukee. How did you personally feel? How did that affect you mentally? Like mm -hmm. your self-esteem, was it affected by that? Or like, talk to me mm -hmm. about dealing with that. Yeah, um, it definitely was affected by that because I think not only was I at this like premier institution, which, um, a lot of rich students go there. So I was like different in that sense. But then also in biomedical engineering, which is just like all white men in there and then a lot of in like in Asians. And so that was different. And so I went through a lot of, I didn't know the term for it at the moment, but I guess it was imposter syndrome. Like, do I belong here? Should I be here? Like, what, what, what am I doing here? I'm like wailing over my head. And then when I started to change, like, like I said, like I was always comfortable being unapologetically black. And that was the first time I kind of got confronted with the fact that it might be a disadvantage <laughs> to be that way. And so you do feel kind of like, I don't know, just putting on a mask every day, I guess, you know, like putting on a mask and just trying to make it. So I, I did go through a, a huge bout of different you know, like self-esteem issues, adequacy issues, and wonder if I was adequate enough. Um, and then I would come back home <laughs> and it was comments, you know, oh, you've changed, you're this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm trying to like 
get back into, you know, go back to like the old me. So it was, it was challenging. Definitely was when I look back on it. How'd you fight that thought of like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to live with my mom. I'm going to UWM, Marquette, whatever, or maybe Spelman where I'm more around my, like people look like me. How did you overcome that? Yeah, I definitely had those thoughts the entire time. I don't know if they ever really, I don't know if they ever really went away. You didn't just go there just to study class and do things. You were like heavy involved. Like <laughs> you're a, you're an AKA sorority, not Kamala Harris's sorority. Yeah, or Kamala. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She was president of the IOTA Beta Chapter, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. She was also the vice president of the Association of Biomedical Engineers at her school, and she was the president of the National Society of Black Engineers at USC. Leadership came naturally. She says she kind of just fell into it a lot of the time. It helped, too, that she made a ton of connections on campus. She was constantly networking and meeting new people, sitting in strategy sessions for these societies and associations, all in addition to her coursework. But I still feel that me going to USC and being in California and learning the things that I've learned out there was not just for me at all. Mm. What do you mean by that? Um, I think that, and I know that there is so much that Milwaukee can and will do. I think my eyes got opened to just how far behind we are and how much we have to, how, how far we have to go. And I am passionate and ready to do the work to get us there for Milwaukee. And so I think that my experiences and me being able to bring them back here, back home, was the purpose of me going out there, uh, was the purpose of me going to USC and staying in California as long as I was there. So while you're there, like... What was what was some of your like? I assume you had a goal. What you want to do? Did you want to come back to Milwaukee? Because you you didn't come back to Milwaukee after that either. You you continued stayed in California. So mm-hmm. talk about that experience, uh, getting your uh, masters and what else while you were doing in California. So I stayed there for a while. I became a teacher, got my masters, and I had always when I was younger, um, growing up, I always wanted to open up my my own school. I said that I was like, I want to open up a school in Milwaukee and I had this huge goal for it. But the way I was gonna do it was going to be an engineer. It was my plan and I was going to just use the money from engineering to open up the school. I, I realized later on that that's not what's necessary. You don't need to be an engineer to open up the school. So I actually got in contact with a school in the Bay Area who was um, opening up a school, a high school, and they were going to be one of the first schools in that district, in the San Jose district, to have like one-to-one um, ev- computers for everything. Every single student was going to take computer science, kind of a similar kind of thing. and had the same kind of like um, belief that computer science education is a fundamental literacy, just like reading, writing, and um, arithmetic. And so I joined that school and was a founding member of that school. We did pretty well. And that's not kind of gotten into the charter school realm. And um, I stayed in the Bay Area for a while with charter schools as, as a learning coach before I made the decision to come back home to Milwaukee. Coming up next on Diverse Disruptors, we'll pick it up right there when she gets back to her hometown and how a coffee meeting would lay the foundation for the school she opens in Milwaukee. 
where she personally sees to it that her students experience what she didn't herself. No dream deferred. Diverse Disruptors is presented by United Ways Techquity, an initiative of Technology United. Techquity strives to bridge the divide throughout the community for students, job seekers, and vulnerable populations. Support for Diverse Disruptors comes from your membership and Northwestern Mutual. Northwestern Mutual is making investments and supporting programs that create a diverse and inclusive tech and entrepreneur community locally and nationally. Support for Diverse Disruptors comes from your membership and from Carthage College. Carthage is committed to embracing diversity, promoting inclusion, and practicing equity to nurture a true sense of belonging to individuals within the campus community. More about Carthage's diversity and inclusion commitments at carthage.edu. Tariq Moody here, back on Diverse Disruptors. Before we get to Milwaukee Excellence Charter School, the school Lita is now the founding principal of, where every single student studies computer science, we need to uh, first take a look at the need she saw here, right here in Milwaukee. This computer literacy gap, you don't have to live in Milwaukee to understand either. It's in cities, large and small, all across the country. Black students often find themselves climbing an uphill battle when it comes to computer science, if they're even represented in classes at all. Because of this, students who look like me, they're at a disadvantage before they even graduate high school. Yeah, I think computer literacy in general, every industry, you have to be computer literate and not just a small amount of computer literacy, but you have to be computer literate in every industry, um, almost every industry, unless you're in like a service industry. And even that you have to be computer literate. And so when I would see uh, like my friends and my sorority sisters in different fields, they all had to have like a really good understanding of technology. And so I started to think about like what our kids were learning in schools and were they gonna be prepared for that? afterwards if they didn't have a good understanding of uh, or were literate in computers and the answer is no they weren't going to be and so if we're not teaching computer literacy um, in schools and if we don't treat it as if it's a fundamental literacy like math and reading we are almost just relegating or preparing a, a students or a whole population of students for service industry jobs which is okay but we're not letting them have a choice they're going to be far behind the curve and they're not going to be ready and competitive um, for the job market once they graduate. And when I started to notice that and think about that, um, that's when I realized that we are behind the game and we have to get, we have to catch up because we will have a whole generation of, of students in Milwaukee who are not ready for the job market when they graduate. So that's the need she saw in Milwaukee and she puts herself on a path to meet it. She connects with Maurice Thomas, another Milwaukee native who had a similar path to Lita's. He went to the same high school as her, but went to a college a little bit closer, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Then he moved to Atlanta to teach high school history with Teach for America. And in 2010, he was recognized as the National Teacher of the Year by Teach for America. So they met for coffee, and it turned out they were exactly on the same page. And we had a really good conversation, like what our 
what our students need, what they're what they are capable of, what they deserve. We were at um, Collectivo, I believe, and he's like, you know what, we need to you need to be the founding principal of the high school. So like, and so it just kind of went and snowballed from there after that after that conversation. But um, when he started Milwaukee Excellence Charter School, um, the middle school, he had the same belief that our Black students deserve to have choices. And so um, the middle school students also computer science for everybody, because if we're going to really say that they have choices once they leave, that means making sure that they're ready and literate in technology so that they can um, take on the competitive workforce once they're once they're 18. So you, you go... First day as a principal, what happens? You open the door. <laughs> I mean, it's a new school, so I know there'd be a lot of, it's not going to be um, a perfect day. So what happens? You open that door, you know, it's not going to be this rosy kids with apples. Yeah, so I started cracking some jokes that didn't land at all. The kid. <laughs> The kids were like, who is this person? So it didn't land, but I had my, we had morning meeting in the hallway. And so I so get all the kids together just to kind of like, like kick off the school year. Our morning meetings usually are just to get everybody grounded in like what our goals are for the week. I was nervous, you know, my staff and everybody who's on the team. This is all of our kind of like our first time meeting the kids, like one on like the entire student body. So it was a it was a whirlwind. My makeup definitely had melted because I was sweating so much and it was like all it was not a good sight at all. But once I started going in the classrooms um, and then talking to more people and students and things like that, went from a lot of anxiety and nerves to just feeling relief because um, the students were just like are phenomenal. Um, they're just like genuinely good. They're just great. And so um, they made my day go good, welcomed me, introduced me to some of their friend groups. My jokes started to land a little bit better <laughs> with them. They weren't landing at first. So it was it was okay. So how did you, um, you know, this is a leap going back to dealing with the same thing when you deal in college, anxiety of not, you know, a strange place. This is a strange position. How did you overcome some of the stress and anxiety dealing with that? Did you also, did, did the imposter syndrome come back at this point as well? Big time. Big time. It definitely did because you kind of wonder like, do I deserve to be here or am I the right person? And you know, those thoughts definitely come across your mind, especially when um, you go on such an untraditional path that I, like I did. You know, education was not like my degree at the beginning. So mm. you do kind of feel, and then coming into, um, I had done most of my years in education in California. So <laughs> there's a whole nother ball game of getting used, you know, to the educational landscape in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin. So I definitely, definitely felt that imposter syndrome um, and still do, to be quite honest with you. I think we all um, go through that. But what I noticed, what keeps me going is just when I hear students like, I, I just hear some of the students and they say, you know, we have a black principal or we have a black woman principal or she was an engineer before, so I can do this. Like those small things, help and it lets me know that I'm doing the right thing or when I hear someone say that you know they 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 
at their old school, no one pushed them as hard as as hard as we have pushed them here, but also had no one gave them as much support. And that's the exact thing that I was missing, that support and that guidance. And so when I see or hear students like acknowledge the support and the guidance that they're getting, um, and how they're grateful for it, it, it kind of regrounds me, it snaps me out of any imposter syndrome that I might be experiencing at that moment. <laughs> Where did this idea of setting this big vision up of quadrupling the number of black students who take the AP computer science exam come from? Why, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. When did that happen? What sparked that goal? Mm-hmm. Not just, hey, I'm just going to have people teach coding and stuff, just do do the work. But why the AP class? Why why was that a goal? Yeah. My, my big goal for every student is that they have choices and that none of their dreams are deferred. And so when I'm backwards planning in my mind, like what does that look like when they're applying or when they're seniors um, applying to their um, the schools of their choice? Like how do I make sure that they can actually have a choice? And it's, and like life is just not handed to them or decided for them because of circumstance. And I came by like, look, I said, okay, it's just one piece of paper that's going to hold a lot of weight, which is their transcript. Um, and I, like they, we need to make sure that it looks competitive. And so that's where like the AP came in. I said, okay, they have to, they, they have to have AP classes. Um, I know they can do it in 10th grade because I taught 10th grade AP computer science. So I know these students can do it. And then I also that unwavering belief that they all need to be computer literate. Um, and that's going to help them in any career that they go after once they are adults. And so that's kind of where the idea came from is this idea of us like making sure that when I'm setting them up for success right now, they may not understand it completely yet, but I'm setting them up and putting them in the best positions so that they can make those choices a few years from now. But also that unwavering belief that they need to have that computer science education. And so there's two different types of AP computer science. There's AP computer science A and AP computer science principles. Um, AP computer science principles kind of goes to more of like the heart of like um, computing and print, I guess computing in general and um, understanding what that is. And it's more applicable to like a lot of different workforces and places. Knowing that we took AP, we did AP computer science principles um, instead of a computer science A, which is a little bit more focused just on Java and we I we looked at the stats um, and we saw that only 23 black students in the entire state had taken the exam, um, which was really wait, what what 23 black students in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin. This includes Madison and Milwaukee this, and like the entire 23 blacks. 23. Wow. It's like you would think the state, not just you would have a like, hey, we gotta we gotta do something about this. But it seemed like it was just you that cared. <laughs> I and, and I don't understand how this doesn't and I think it gets to this idea that um like expectations. It's like I don't know if we don't expect that they'll do well or what it is or even give the, or even offer it like hey take this class. Twenty three students, black students, which is just <laughs> I it just sounds so bad. Like you got Milwaukee, like Milwaukee and Madison should like Madison, like, come on, there's like two big cities here. You think right. <laughs> can at least get a hundred, right? At least a hundred. It's it's crazy. And I think and year after year, um, only two point two percent of this of the students that take the test year after year are um are black. So it's wow. it's uh 
it's it's not just it wasn't just like a fluke year like it was 23 students it happens consistently and so i thought that hey this is something that i know is an inju- is an injustice and um i think that we as leaguers have a duty and we can change we can we can do something about it i think it, it, it's, we can do something about it. So I said, you know what? We're all taking AP computer science. Um, we're all taking AP computer science principles and you're all going to do well in it too. <laughs> so talk about that program. Like what did the, how did the kids respond and what, what kind of stuff did they build? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So were they, ex- were they excited? <laughs> were they just like, Oh, just some teacher trying to get us to do something I don't care about. I just like, what? Like, you know how kids are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about like, the kids, when you come into these, create this program and kids involved, mm-hmm. what, what, what were they like? Were they interested? Were they just like rolling their eyes? I mean, <laughs> um, they were super interested. So we just talked about like, hey, what are problems that um, that you're facing? So or that you that you know are out there. And so we kind of guided them through like this, like this problem solving process. Some of it was environmental things they were concerned about. They were concerned about like bullying. Um, they were concerned about um, students being um, being stressed out um, and, and, and anxious, and so they had a lot of different problems. No TikTok, like how to make a better TikTok. No, app, no? it wasn't. It, it it was really surprising, and so they, I think we underestimate um, their just their 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 knowledge of what's really going on, and so we started there. And then, and some, and one girl was like, "Hey, some students feel really self conscious coming to school because they don't know they can't afford." like fancy clothes and things like that. And so we started there and we just kept building on like problems and things like that. Um, and then we started and they they learned bit by bit as we built and like, like did more research about their problem. We built their application, their apps for their devices, find solutions to those problems. So the solution was bullying. Um, this um, one student built like like a social network to just like have students get there and talk and just say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. This person said this, like, um, and like a support group where they can like network and support and lift each other up. Another, um, girl built kind of like, like a, she was like a midway or like a, a mid person to cheap clothes where students can go and find like fashionable things that they can feel good about themselves, but for really cheap in the neighborhood. And so she built that app. A lot of good things came out of it, but it was all driven by like real problems that they said that they were that they saw in the community, in their school, with themselves, and then they wanted to solve those problems. And I think that kind of gets to like the heart of also like what computer science is. It's just you're building algorithms and you're solving problems. But that thinking process is what employers need. They want somebody who can really think outside the box and find and help and find solutions to problems to help their companies grow or to move forward. We talked about some of the things you had to overcome, you know, code switching, imposter syndromes. Is this part of also letting the students know about dealing with this as well? Not just about their ABCs and computer science and their coding, but as a part of the school, the education is telling, especially black students at this age, about what you had to deal with. If you go, if a student goes to a PWI school, they might have to f- go through these things. Mm-hmm. So is this part of the curriculum as well as actually the stuff that you had to go through that was not part of your curriculum? Mm, yep. 
It, it 100% is, and it has to be. Um, and so when we talked about like, what is AP? I gave my story to the kids so that they could hear from me, like why this was important. And they all know about like this idea of no dreams being deferred and like what that, like at the root of it, what that means to me. I created a class as well, which just started this year called Black Arts Matter. And our students all take that class and they also see themselves just how Black art in general over the entire, the entirety of this country has shaped and has shaped our country, has shaped our, um, our civilization and everything. And so they get a good, they, they have a lot of rich discussions about activism and protests and things like that and just being unapologetically themselves. And so our kids do have that safe space and it's part of the interweaving into different parts of our curriculum so that we can, they can talk about what it means to be Black and what it means to have no dreams deferred. And so I talk about that class because um, they just finished their their unit about um, a raising in the sun um, and looking at that. And then the idea of um, no dreams being deferred and what that means is to be a black student and to have dreams and that you have a right to have a dream. And they, um, they're, they're really passionate about it. And just the idea that sometimes like people, sometimes it, it's hard. You have to fight for your dreams and you, but you have a right to have it and, and you have a right to dream. So what, what one thing would you tell your, your high school senior self now that you like learned through this time? I would tell my younger self, if something feels unjust or a little bit unright, it probably is that you should speak up about it and make more noise about it. And I think about, yeah, I didn't, I think I gotten so used to it or just didn't know how to speak up or just didn't know like what, kind of like the idea like, oh, my dreams matter. I deserve it. We all have a right to have our dreams come true. I don't think I thought that or believed that. So I couldn't call out an injustice like I should have been able to at that time. And then what's, where do you see yourself and your students in the school in a year or five years from now? What, 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 what is your vision? Yeah, so um, I want to see um, our students um, thriving in college. So I want to see them like ha- ha- using the skills and development that we've given them um, to be thriving and unapologetic in college or whatever career that they choose. And I see the school expanding a little bit more. Um, I think right now we're we're just we're at we're at the foundation part. We're still building it right now, but I, I'm looking forward to the school uh, having like alumni come back and um, talk to the kids, um, let them and like kind of like letting the alumni drive like that vision that I'm talking about. What's going to happen? Now. I'm, I'm talking to them about what's going to happen after high school, but I'm looking forward to students coming back and talking to the kids. I'm looking forward to seeing more students taking the AP Computer Science A class that I talked to you about, because that's going to be coming up next. And looking forward to just them being exposed to more AP classes. Um, Right, This is our first one. We only have 10th grade right now, but next year we have more AP classes coming in the years after. So I'm looking forward to them seeing like their own growth within these classes. Well, thank you. I appreciate you for chatting with us, Lita. And um, congratulations on the work. It's very impressive. And um, you're the first principal on the podcast. Most of them have been not like, you're an entrepreneur. Why not? Why are you not a principal? You're an entrepreneur. Because <laughs> you think about it, you're, 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 you're basically building something. That's what entrepreneur means. Mm-hmm. You're solving a problem. I am very inspired by your work. And thank you for being on this inaugural season of this podcast i appreciate you thank you for having me um this was great and so i love talking about what we're doing here so i appreciate you for having me 
Lita Malik, founding principal at Milwaukee Excellence Charter School. At the time of this podcast coming out, the first school year at Milwaukee Excellence hasn't yet graduated. But Lita says she's confident they'll hit that goal of quadrupling the amount of black students that take the AP computer science exam in Wisconsin. You can find out more about the work she's doing, plus catch up with the other episodes in our first season of Diverse Disruptors on our website at radiomilwaukee.org slash disruptors. Hope you follow us on the platform you're listening to right now. We have two more episodes to go in our first season, including a great conversation with Kelly Burton and Aaron Horn McKinney of the Black Innovation Alliance. But first, we're talking esports. Game on. Coming up next time on Diverse Disruptors, we'll learn about an emerging nonprofit startup that's committed to increasing minority representation in esports, specifically geared towards HBCUs. Our conversation with Ryan Johnson, founder of Community, on our next episode of Diverse Disruptors. I'm Tariq Moody for 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. Diverse Disruptors is presented by Northwestern Mutual and United Way's Tequity with support from Carthage College. Diverse Disruptors is hosted by Tariq Moody, executive produced by myself, Nate Immig, with production support from Kenny Perez. Marketing by Sarah Lahr and Aaron Bagata, with community outreach by Maddie Reardon. Our development director is Maggie Corey. Dory Zori is 88.9's program director. Jordan Lee is our station director. And Kevin Sucker is 88.9's executive director. Biggest thanks to our members for making this and all content on 88.9 possible. You can find out more about membership at radiomilwaukee.org slash support. Diverse Disruptors is an original podcast production of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee.